What's Good Friends List, episode 86 of the Game Pass Gamecast, coming at you. Rainbow Six continues to dominate both the competitive and casual FPS scene, with over 15 million new players added alone this past year. While all seems golden on the front, a big question has left fans of the series puzzled. Just what the hell is Rainbow Six Quarantine, and is it even still coming out? So, this week, we dissect the fresh info on the franchise's newest entry and why its once thought new title, Parasite, isn't actually it at all. Does the series have the ability to support a PvE standalone experience without cannibalizing Ubisoft's similar offerings like The Division? We break down what it all means. Plus, the professional flirtation between Sega and Microsoft has been on display for quite some time now, and along with it naturally comes rumors of the latter acquiring the former, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon, especially after praise comes from Sega on the implementation of their titles within the Game Pass service. Does this just add more fuel to the fire, or will we continue to see a second party movement from the Japanese gaming giant with Microsoft? Also, we've got a fresh new look at the web version of xCloud, new info on a premium headset that's coming for the Xbox Series X and S from Microsoft, and much, much more coming up on the newest jam-packed episode of the Game Pass Gamecast. <laughs> now the fun begins. Welcome back to another episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and PC gaming, including news, rumors, and conversation around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So be sure to subscribe to us, rate us, review us, all that jazz I tell you every week, wherever you get a podcast at, and... Follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show, video games like, and our dope giveaways. I'm your host, as always, Travis White, aka Travelist, on most internet platforms. Joining me, as always, my partner in crime, Mike Peepak. Mike, what's good? What's going on? And man, how fucking good's Valheim? It's uh, it's been a lot of fun. I have <laughs> genuinely enjoyed that game a serious amount, for sure. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's. I think that's been easily the biggest like caught off guard moment in gaming so far in these first two months um, for 20, 2021. Now I got to get used to that still saying 2021. I'm still, and I it's still not haven't, like, like, I still haven't processed like last March and this March is like fucking two days away. It feels like, so <laughs> it's not like, it's just such an interesting experience because I've said it multiple times while we were playing, but obviously we haven't been recording while we were playing, but it just feels like a good mix of like all the games of that type of genre. It feels like the perfect mesh of it all. Like it feels really similar to seven days to die, mm -hmm. but it's so much better for a multitude of reasons. The main one being like, I feel like it takes a lot less startup time, like seven mm -hmm. days to die. It takes like almost feels like it takes 14 hours of gameplay to just to know, get up get and running. Yeah, and it's not like that's a, a terrible thing because mm -hmm. if you're looking for that immersive experience, that's the game you're going to want to get, right? Mm -hmm. But overall, it just it definitely feels like um, I just have a lot more fun with 
Valheim thus far because it's just a lot easier to pick up and play. Yeah, well, it's definitely a lot less abrasive than I feel like than Seven Days to Die, which like I don't want to say abrasive by the means of it is difficult or anything like that. But in terms of stepping in for the first time, if you set somebody down in front of Valheim or you sat somebody down in front of Seven Days, like I have a feeling, at least in my gut, that people would be able to grasp and pick up on and interact with the game a little bit better in Valheim than Seven Days to Die. Same concept to a degree. You know, a lot of the Venn diagram crosses over a lot of things with them. Um, But the one thing that, like, I was thinking, it was funny, I was thinking about it last night when we were playing, that I knew we were going to end up talking about a little bit on the show this week. I mean, considering it is the top-selling game on Steam right now, they've sold over 2 million copies of the game already, and it's been out, what, two weeks not even so you know it's it's nuts to see that in early release i mean but um which is another conversation that is really exciting to talk about if this game's already this enjoyable at the base of it you know being early access and whatnot that's only you know knock on wood things can only go up from here but the i was thinking about it last night because i knew we were going to talk about it on the show this week and it's it's funny i it, it kind of reminds me of the old saying that like valheim in general it's a it's a jack of all but a master of none. Like it it can do so many various things within the game of like different genres and you know different mechanics that you're going to find in different game styles like it does so many things well or good, but it's not like you can't put your finger on, you know, one thing that it's like, you know what, this is that X factor that this game has more than anything. Um, you know, this is the reason why I keep coming back to this game specifically because of that, you know, when you think of, for example, me playing dark souls recently, it's the level design, it's the combat, it's the immersiveness that you get from that game, but it's really, you know, the difficulty that it's known for, but in a sense of it is risk versus reward and things like that. Like there's certain aspects of that style of game that people directly go to, for go to dark souls and you know from software games specifically for that where you know we just i personally feel there's not that thing with valheim but that's not a bad thing because it does so many things well that i think this like the sum of its parts really equal up to something special um that i'm having a ton of fun with you're having a ton of fun with adam it, more than ever is having a ton of fun with he's the one who's taking the onus to get things done like when he's working from home and whatnot like when he can. So he is, he is, you know, taking our uh, stronghold there or multiple strongholds because we're really notorious to notorious at, Oh, we find a rundown thing. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's just make a little base here, you know, a little way station that we can come back to. Um, but it, it, it's such a great experience so far, but, uh, and, and like I said, it's, it's so early in the game's life that it being an early access and seeing this game, you know, hopefully evolving over time, um, you know, it could only be knock on wood up from here. So, um, but besides that, Mike, what else have you been playing this past week? Catch me up on what's been going on gaming wise with Mike Peekback. Uh, yeah, I've just been playing some CSGO. Um, Halo tournaments have resumed on Sundays. So I've been playing a little bit of Halo, trying to get ready for that. Um, you know, finding a team and everything for those tournaments. Uh, Cause it's a uh, scene that I still want to um, support and enjoy. Uh, and I have been, you know, genuinely enjoying it. So just been happy to play some Halo and have fun with it. And also same with CS, like it's a little bit different now. Like when I used to play it a, f- 
a year or two ago. I took it pretty serious. I was DMing a lot. I was putting a lot of work into smokes and things of that nature, getting my game up to snuff for league play. Then this season, it's been nice just to kind of get back into the game and play for fun. But with CS, it's it's one of those games where, like, as I play it for fun, I find myself getting sucked back into wanting to take it more and more serious. So that's mm-hmm. where I'm at now. I've just been playing a lot of those two games. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, just plenty of Valheim in, in the interim, like, kind of getting Val- getting my fix on that game because it's a game that kind of checks off all those boxes for me, like you were saying in, in your interaction. And it's just something that all three of us have had a ton of fun together. So I've just genuinely been having fun with that game. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. It, it, and like we always talk about, we're always looking for, we're always looking for that game that is something all of us can play. Like I feel, and what's nice too is, you know, when I say this, we could bring Kyle into this game too. And I feel very confident that he isn't going to completely, you know, uh, take the uh, train off the train tracks. It's not going to get completely derailed. Like he does sometimes in Minecraft, letting spiders into the fucking base and whatnot. But, um, you know, it, it's it's a game that really you can have, you know, obviously degression, 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 if I can talk, but with it, but it's based around progression. It's based around, okay, it's, it's, it's very little, you know, there's, there's not a lot of handholding, but at the same time, you're not overtly, you know, beaten to death if you die once or something like that. Sure, after a while, your stats may get a little, you know, little, uh, you know, a little nerf to them or whatnot. But at the same time, though, like, if you're making progress, the I think the game is built to recognize that and not completely like, oh, you just invested, you know, 10 hours into doing X, Y, and Z and you died once. Okay, we're not going to completely ruin your experience because you messed up one thing. Like, it's built around progression and achieving goals with, you know, the group that you're playing with. Um, so, and and that's why I think, like, it's it's such, it's that game that I think we've, one of those games we've always really been looking forward to filling that void of, what can we all play together? What can we find that everybody can have a role and be constructive in? Um, and it seems so far that's been the case with it. Um, on my end, obviously, talking about Valheim, you know, we've been playing that a lot, uh, you know, between our friend group, that's been the game that we all kind of party up for. Um, but outside of that, I've kind of, I know I was saying, hey, hopefully, you know, last week I was saying, hey, hopefully next week I'm talking about it. Yeah, I beat Dark Souls. I got done. I kind of got hard stuck right now <laughs> um, with uh, Incense Fortress. I'm just, I kind of hit a wall and it's just, I, I think I'm at a point where I need to kind of grind a little bit and farm souls and get up that I was just like, you know what? I'm just not necessarily ready to jump in and, you know, kind of commit that time to just doing one specific thing. I'm just meh type of thing. So, um, you know, it, it, I kind of fell off of it, kind of didn't, but, eh. but I've also been going back through playing, um, and really finishing for the first time in, you know, two's, uh, two's case, um, the Half-Life 2 episodes. I never went back and actually beat them. So I've been going through and doing that because I would like to, one of my objectives is to find a way to play Half-Life Alex this year. Um, my PC can easily run it. It's trying to find a way that I don't necessarily have to spend $400 at least to play it at the bare minimum. Um, so uh, I'm kind of getting in that, you know, getting caught up with Half-Life, getting, you know, refreshing myself on like uh, world and getting back into it because it's so unique and so 
untouchable in so many ways um, that nothing else could really tickle that fancy. So been kind of doing that. And then also to the other night, my fiance and I wrapped up our Resident Evil 7 replay. Um, nice. That Well, replay for me, obviously. I've played that game fucking how many times. Um, but her first time actually sitting there and like watching it all the way through or like playing us playing it all the way through. Um, so that was her first time. And she liked it. She kind of said the same thing we usually do that, nah, it, it doesn't necessarily stick the landing completely, but it's serviceable, um, you know, but that shouldn't necessarily degrade the rest of the game. You know, she definitely enjoyed it, loved that and loved it. You know, I think she likes it a little bit more than the, you know, over the shoulder third person perspective or, you know, obviously the fixed camera of the traditional old school Resident Evil titles. But uh, with that being said, that we also did start since we were already in a Resident Evil mood. I had yet to, I had picked it up on Black Friday and had yet to play it, but the Resident Evil 3 remake. So we started that the other night. Um, we're only probably about three or four hours into it. Granted, it's not that long of a game, so we're probably halfway through it or so. Um, but it really, really, I, I completely understand why this game frustrated people in terms of when they had just this monolith giant of Resident Evil 2 remake stacked up against that the year prior. Um, you know, I completely understand why people did not feel the connection with Resident Evil 3. The polish is there. The quality is there by all means. Um, you know, but I think just in general, Resident Evil 2 is a much more beloved title than 3. Um, you know, I, I vaguely remembered playing both of them as a young kid of my cousins just because... I wasn't allowed to fucking have those games at that point in my life when they came out. So I remember, you know, playing those games and enjoying those games for what they were. But I remember a lot of people and really, you know, obviously in the boon of the Internet 20 years later, it, it seems to, you know, reaffirm those that, you know, Resident Evil 2 is a much more beloved game long term, I think. And there are a ton of people who love Resident Evil 3. I'm just a fan of the franchise in general, um, whether it be the more serious, you know, horror aspects to the campy aspects of it um you know it's i love it in general for what it is because it's so wholly unique um and but i could definitely see where there is criticisms to it and how the game plays and also the replayability in terms of you look at resident evil 2 you're getting basically two completely you know, i don't want to say completely different games but two variations of the game that you're you have in the box right out the right out the gate you could either play leon's story or claire's story um you know so you don't have that in Resident Evil 3. It's just, boom, you start up your Jill Valentine, who, just to say, is fucking fantastic. The way that they portray her in this game, the way that she's, you know, held to such a high degree from a writing standpoint, a portrayal standpoint, that how they position this character for the 21st century in, you know, a modern 2020, 2021 version of Jill Valentine, I think is really, really, really good. Um, and she's by all means, the highest part of that game so far. Um, and it's really kind of caught me off guard, maybe because, Hey, my expectations were low compared to, I, I saw the, you know, obviously I was, you know, paying attention to the conversation around the time that, that it was released last year in terms of, you know, well, it's not living up to Resident Evil two and yada, yada. But, I'm also, you know, coming in a little bit later 
see, having that, like I said, my expectations are probably a little low, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, there's some frustrating parts of that game, but that's just Resident Evil. It's frustrating at times, um, and it's designed to be like that too at times, but uh, overall, I'm really enjoying it. So I know definitely for sure I'll be talking about it next week when I wrap it up, but because uh, we'll probably end up potentially even finishing it tonight or something. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those games that's easy for us to sit there and play through because it is so cinematic at times like any other Resident Evil game. So, but I digress. Mike, before I drag on too long about all we're playing, because we got a pretty jam-packed show. Let's end the butt match for this week. Let's go through our quick hit news articles for the week before we get into our big topics. We're going to dive in a little deeper, but let's kick it off with butt match. Starting with Remedy. A studio I love, Alan Wake, Control of Reason, has more than doubled its operating profit in 2020, achieving a record financial year despite releasing no games. This is according to the company's latest financial report for the 12 for 12 months ending December 31st, 2020, which shows full year revenue is up by 30% at 41.1 million euros. Operating profit comes in at 13.2 million euros, over twice the 6.5 million euros achieved during 2019. Microsoft has announced the Xbox wireless headset Yet again, another Xbox wireless headset for Microsoft. A new headset for Xbox consoles, including the new Series X and S. The black and green over-the-ear headset has a retractable microphone, PU leather uh, leather cup, ear cups, and a metal interior band. The edges of the ear cups are rubberized rotary dials used to adjust the volume and game chat audio balance. The overall aesthetic has been designed to be, quote, intentionally understand, er, understated to allow it to blend in with the surroundings alongside the Xbox Series X and S. And it also, I believe, has... Yes, it does support... Um, yes, it does support 3D audio as well, which is really good. I had to double check on there because some reason that got caught off on the docket. <laughs> um, but yes, it does support 3D audio, which at a $100 price point is pretty good and very comparable to uh, Sony's uh, Pulse 3D headset for the PlayStation 5. So really nice to see that come out. I'm all about, I fucking love audio when it comes to uh, game design and really just any audio experience with my entertainment. So I'm a big headset guy. I've had my um, Steel Series Arctis 7 Pros, I believe they are, for like three or four years now. And hands down the best headset I've ever owned. And I'm really, really tempted to get just the straight up Arctis Pro model. Um, but at $100, you really can't beat that, especially being a wireless headset with a lot of this quality with 3D audio and whatnot. So bravo to Microsoft on that. And somebody will have to let me know because I'm probably, I'm not, in the, I'm not in the market for a headset, but I really would like to know how that goes. But anyways, No Man's Sky has received another update titled Companions, which lets players adopt and breed alien companions. The Companions update launches today. That's Wednesday. We're recording a little earlier this week, but Wednesday, this is February 17th, and will let players tame, breed, train, and even speak to the creatures they encounter. No Man's Sky has long been known for the in, uh, intimidable uh, alien creatures that inhabit the planet, or the game's procedurally generated planets, but this update will let players interact with them on a deeper level. G4, it's coming back, baby. G4, the gaming channel that if you're like our age, mid to late 20s, <laughs> will remember very fondly of just 
I, that used to be my thing back in the day when I was like sick or something junior high, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm staying home, I'm sick or whatever. Throw G4 on in the background, tack of the show will be running through every now and then the X play rerun will be on something like that. And then also too, I believe they still, I think that was at the time that they did have the rights to uh, MXC and we get the reruns for MXC. Don't get eliminated. <laughs> um, so hands down, awesome, sick day. Uh, TV show, a lot of fond memories of that, but they have announced that Adam Sessler and Kevin Pieria are officially returning to G4 and will be hosting the revivals of X-Play and Attack of the Show, respectively. But fun fact, Adam Sessler is a transphobe, so fuck him. Um, anyways, the newest season of Fortnite marches on with another pop collaboration. This time, Fortnite is getting cosmetic outfits from Tron. The quote, end of the line collection available now in the Fortnite item shop will kit your character out for the grid. The skin includes outfits that will make your character look like Cypher, Firewall, Proxy, Datapath, Packet, Bitstream, Command Line, Upload, IO, and Bandwidth from Tron. Square Enix has announced that the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X versions of Marvel's Avengers will arrive on March 18th, 2021. Announced in the latest Marvel's Avengers War Table, these next generation or next gen versions will be released alongside Hawkeye and his operation called Future Impact or Future Imperfect. I'm sorry. It's important to note that not only will the, uh, those who will own Marvel's Avengers on PS4 and Xbox One be able to upgrade to the next-gen versions for free, the game will support cross-generation play between PlayStation and Xbox consoles, and players will also be able to transfer their saves between versions. Uh, and then two, coming out of IGN, they're happy to reveal the nominees exclusively for the 8th annual SXSW Game Awards and announced that they are partnering with SXSW to bring you the show on Saturday, March 20th. So if you're interested in more award show, jump on over there, March 20th. The 43 nominees across 12 platforms make up this year and include the likes of IGN's Game of the Year, which was Hades, also Dreams, Ghost Shima, Half-Life Alex, Cloudpunk, and many more. You can go over to SXSW's website. You can vote over there. They take, you know, your vote into count whenever it comes to that. So be sure to go over there, check it out, and tune to the show. And finally, Mike, Xbox Game Pass is getting a whole new lineup of titles in the second half of February 2021. This includes Dirt 5, which was really the new racing title that was enhanced for the Xbox Series X and S at launch, um, was a big release for them. Uh, that uh, was really, I can't remember, what, no, that was a launch title. So yeah, November of 2020, already coming to Game Pass. Uh, included with that as well is Code Vein on PC on February 18th. Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire, the Ultimate Edition on Cloud and Console on February 18th. Wreckfest on Cloud Console PC and PC on February 18th. Then on the 23rd, Killer Queen Black, which is fucking fun. Please go play Killer Queen Black whenever it comes to uh, console. Get a bunch of, well, I guess you can't get a bunch of friends because of the whole pandemic thing, but socially distance, play online, do whatever. Uh, Killer Queen Black is a fun time. Play that co-op whenever you get the chance. That comes to cloud and console on the 23rd. And then on the 25th, obviously, Dirt 5 on cloud, console, and PC. Elite Dangerous on console and Super Hot Mind Control Delete on PC. All that on the 25th. So, Mike, before we head into our main topics for the show, our big topics, news, all that jazz, anything you want to run back on Button Mash before we dive into the show? Um, Yeah, I want to talk about Remedy, obviously, having a very successful uh, operating profit. Um, that's a studio who is definitely been on pretty much everyone's radar for a long time because of their success with Alan Wake uh -huh. and, and, um, 
you know, and now they have control that's pretty, pretty successful. And I just want to, you know, take my hat off to them and kudos to them because that's a studio that has always produced a interesting type of game. Mm -hmm. Um, always a very unique and different from whatever else is out on the market. So it's great to see them succeeding. Obviously G4 coming back is pretty, pretty cool. Just because like you said, you know, going through the rundown, like being a little bit older, you know, that's something that we kind of like, we remember fondly because it's like the first time video games were being legitimized was whenever yeah. it had its own, and it, video, or, uh, its own channel. And it really, it was like, you know, pre well, i don't want to say that because youtube was there but it, like youtube was very much in its infancy like this was whenever like smosh was like starting out so like mm -hmm. that you know put that in your mind whenever you're trying to visualize this but fun fact g4 on their trailer rundown i can't remember what exactly it was called but the uh block that they would just show trailers and whatnot for games first time i saw portal wow yeah and portal so is one of my fucking favorite franchises of all time so yeah that was love at first sight i remember seeing that at your no it was actually your house we were doing something i can't remember what uh in your living room and we had g4 on in the background i can't remember what we were doing oh we were i think we were probably playing counter-strike on your computer or some shit at that point but like cs 1.6 <laughs> but um i remember that being on and seeing it and i'm like i need to remember that game because that looks really cool but i digress mike continue please yeah, uh, I mean, outside of that, nothing really crazy. Uh, obviously, just want to touch on um, the Xbox Game Pass games that are coming out because there are some pretty big games that are continuously being released on Game Pass, and it, you know, continues to be one of the, you know, the better um, bargains that you can get in gaming. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I mean, that's... It, it, it comes without saying, obviously, we're fans of xbox game pass if you know we're using the terminology in the show that we've been doing now for almost two years that we are fans of the show or of the product that is there you know we're not biased towards it but we're fans of it um because i've been pretty critical at times of it that you know i want to see now how this plays off in the long run it's we planted those seeds now for you know two three years of hey we're requiring we're acquiring studios we're doing this this and that every game that you get from them you know whether it's you know, people from or studios like a playground games or, you know, dead labs, any, you know, more on the, you know, what you would traditionally find, you know, or even AI. Ah, what's the, what's the one from we happy few. I can't remember. Ah, uh, that's going to kill me, but you know, anything ranging from that, maybe double a sized partnership that we have or acquisition now that we have to all the way stemming to a Bethesda with elder scroll six and Starfield are both going to be on game pass day one. Like, I'm ready to start to, you know, see how those seeds that have been planted, how they play out in actual, you know, when they come to fruition of when, you know, hey, when this actually is put into play, because we could talk about it and we could say like, hey, that really, really sounds appetizing. That's going to pay off in the long run, this and that. And hopefully that is true. And I still expect that to be true. But, you know. I want to see that actually put into play now. I want to see how that, how the, you know, gaming industry reacts to something like an Elder Scrolls 6. It's just, boom, release. There you go. It's on Game Pass. You can pay a dollar. You can get in for free for two weeks. So you can go in and just fucking grind the game for free. Like, I want to, I want to see how the gaming industry reacts to something of that size. And, you know, knock on wood, there's a lot of, you know, hearsay around supposedly Starfield being this year. So, 
maybe we'll see that sooner than later, you know, and I don't want to say Halo Infinite, oh, that's not going to be it, but I expect that from Microsoft. I know that Halo isn't in necessarily the standing it used to be in. Um, you know, I'm not expecting a, you know, the zeitgeist of gaming to surround Halo like it did Halo 3 when it came out. You know, it, it's just not, it, we're not at that point with that franchise right now. Um, again, but hopefully this is the start of that, that we get to that point where, hey, you know, it, it turns out to be a Destiny level investment for people that they keep coming back to. Um, so, but I'm I'm ready to see that. But point being, you know, I still think it is the best value in gaming. Sure, we may not get, you know, Dirt 5, a great launch title for both the PS4 or the PS5 and the Xbox Series X slash S. But, you know, that's great. But I'm ready to see, you know, some AAA, high level AAA stuff. Not that that isn't, but you get what I'm saying. It's a racing game. You know, that's cool. That's awesome. But I'm ready to see what this looks like with an actual, you know, AAA quad A experience that's coming, you know, out across the board into Game Pass. I want to see what that value really looks like because, you know, hey, $15 to get in, that's great. And you do get this a la carte experience, but, you know, at what point are you, okay, we're getting games that are six plus months old or something like that. Cool. I want to play something new. I'm, I was waiting to see, you know, all these Xbox games you're talking about, yada, yada, you know, and I'm talking as I'm talking, you know, somebody who is the casual person coming in and, you know, maybe not listening to the show or something like that, who isn't that invested, but at the same time, you know, there's some truth to that. So, but I totally agree. Xbox game pass still the best value in gaming. You don't get as much for your dollar with gaming than on Xbox Game Pass. And you can just get in as long as you have a fucking phone. Like, boom, you're good. And we'll actually talk about that in a little bit. So with that being said, Mike, let's head into our big topics and news for this week. Starting with rumored Rainbow Six Parasite. Originally called, don't call it quarantine anymore. Which, huh. to be fair, probably good, probably good, uh, you know, they're using Parasite as a placeholder title for that. Uh, because probably a good thing that they didn't use quarantine anymore. That's a little... Uh, read the room type thing. And they did. I'll give Ubisoft that. They read the room. Maybe we shouldn't call our game quarantine after a pandemic. So yeah. rumored, uh, rumored Rainbow Six Parasite is placeholder title. The official name is coming soon. This comes from Adam Banghurst over on IGN. As always, link in the description. Go over there. Give Adam and the rest of our talented writers that we pull from. Go over there and give them some clicks, some views on their sites. Anyways, quote, after news spread last night, Ubisoft has confirmed that Rainbow Six Quarantine is being renamed, but the title Rainbow Six Parasite is an internal placeholder title. The game's final name and new details will be shared, quote, soon. Ubisoft CEO Yves Gamon recently said that the previously announced Rainbow Six Quarantine could be renamed, or could be renamed, and a patch upload to the PlayStation Network seems to contain an image that showed the game showed the game its new name was Rainbow Six Parasite. A report, uh, as reported by MP First, the uh, this update, which has been which is said to be an quote internal launch patch, includes quote an image from the file belonging to the PlayStation Four on the dash boot and save data icon, and the mention of Rainbow Six Parasite. In a statement to IGN, Ubisoft explained that the game's name would be changed and that the patch did not refer to internal testing for quarantine, but that the Parasite or but that Parasite is a placeholder title with an official title to be announced soon. 
Quote, while, we're recently, while we recently shared that we will be changing the name of Rainbow Six Quarantine, Parasite is only a placeholder that our internal team uses. We are very happy with the interested, interest generated by the game's development and we will share more details soon, including the official name. The changed title on network testing and recent affirmation that the game would arrive by the end of September may point to an announcement coming sooner rather than later. It's also possible that this update could be paving the way for a possible beta test. Per MP First's digging, PlayStation Vita owners will also be happy to know that there was an image included that shows a seeming work-in-progress look at the guide for remote play in the game. Not that that really Ooh. applies to us, but... Yes, Vita. I'm like one of... I know of, who it applies to. Yeah. Well, Matt Mahalko, yes. But also me. <laughs> I'm, Matt and I are like two of like 10 people who own them. So, hey, cool. Mm. Awesome. <laughs> but that also could be, hey... Remote play works that way. Cool. Make it work in xCloud. So, you know, it it could just be that tech that could easily be transferred over. So still applies to us. Still applies to us Xbox fans, (laughs) at least to the show. Um, (laughs) Anyways, I digress. Rainbow Six Quarantine or Parasite, if you want to call it, don't call it Parasite, is a, quote, three-player tactical co-op shooter that is set in the future. As players entering a quarantine zone to fight, a mutated alien parasite that has been infecting human hosts and causing a ton of chaos. Rainbow Six Quarantine was originally announced at E3 2019 for an early 2020 release, but the pandemic contributed to its delay as it has for so many other games. So after that, all of that, it's really great to finally really hear something about this project, even though I know it's not, you know, a title on the front of everyone's mind, a project that people are really, you know, scratching at the bit and chomping at the bit to get to. But to me, at least more co-op side level, you know, side project level experiences like this from big franchises in my eyes is never a bad thing. You know, take, for example, we're looking at quarantine, parasite, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, Ubisoft's Rainbow Six PvE take on all of this. You take Siege's shooting mechanics and you mix it with what looks to be like Left 4 Dead style gameplay. And to me, it sounds like you at least have a pretty interesting base to build off of. And I would mm-hmm. at least like to jump in and try that out because I love Left 4 Dead. Me personally, I love Siege and the shooting mechanics of it. But you kind of mesh those, mesh those two together, I'm at least going to be interested. So, and plus two... I personally want to see this project succeed as it was previously going to be this like space exploration, shooting, crafting, almost, it almost kind of reminded me of No Man's Sky. I just don't think on it as much of a procedurally generated grandiose level. Um, But it was originally a game that they reworked this game because that was canceled at one point. You could actually, if you go in Watch Dogs 2, I believe it was. Yeah, Watch Dogs 2. If you go, yeah, because it takes place in San Francisco. So in Watch Dogs 2, if you go to, since it's pretty to scale of, you know, the city of San Francisco, the map, if you go to the building that Ubisoft San Fran headquarters is like located in and you, you could hack into the building, it'll play a teaser trailer, like proof of concept for this game at one point. Um, it is, I believe it's still in the game. They haven't patched it out or anything like that, but that game has been reworked into this. They, taking that, you know, the engine and whatnot and applied it to this. Um, So the fact that at least that team's work hasn't gone to waste and they're still employed and especially given this fucking shitty pandemic and everything, you know, to me, that's great. I want to see this project succeed at the bare minimum. So, but that being said, you know, what does this look like or what does this do? I should say, I guess, for the Rainbow Six community, Mike, is 
Is having a PvE experience like this something that really fits within that universe when, you know, when I think of Rainbow Six, not as just a fan, but somebody from, you know, the outside, you know, just when I think Rainbow Six and it pops into my head, I think of it as such a tactical, competitive experience, you know, as that's always fit into like the mind share of that to me has always fit into a more competitive experience from a PvP style play mm-hmm. um, for the most part. I mean, there's obviously been tea hunts and stuff like that, that we fucking love to do, man. I could go for yeah. some tea hunts here soon. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> besides that, but you know, when you think of, you know, when I think of rainbow six and I'm thinking of things of that experience, like, you know, I'm thinking of a PVP first, at least to me. Uh, and I think to a lot of people. So, with that being said, like, where does a PVE experience like that does it fit with? Uh, does it fit with Rainbow Six? Does it fit with that whole, you know, genre that this you know franchise has been kind of intricately tied to for a whole time? And on top of that, too, what does this mean for other PVE franchises within Ubisoft, like The Division, for example, which has been you know has been more popular than ever after the division two last year or well almost two years ago now holy shit um but you know where's that fit in with everything like that what do you what do you think about all this mike yeah i see like you said there was back in the day like classic rainbow six if you will and when i say back in the day i like i'm not trying to make anyone be like oh this guy means like 2008 no i mean like I mean, like, literally the year 2002, whenever <laughs> I was still playing on dial-up, I was playing a Rainbow Six game online. Like, that's how old we're talking. Right. So, like almost 20 years ago, I was playing Rainbow Six online. And just as much as PvP was a huge part of it, and Adversile, as it was called back then, mm-hmm. you know, there was huge groups of people that did cooperative uh, game, t- game modes, like Terrorist Hunt, or you could actually do the missions in the game mm-hmm. as a team. Like, that's something that you can do. So... That was always a big part of the the game, big part of the culture, big part of the community, and it does feel like they're like they're kind of trying to reach that group because even though, um, you know, as you were saying, the division has been a huge hit recently and has been gaining steam, it's still something that someone like me who has been a longtime Rainbow Six supporter, mm-hmm. I haven't partaken in that game at all essentially, and I barely play Siege for a lot of different reasons not just not not just like disliking the game or whatever but like genuinely there's a few different reasons as to why I just don't play the game and you know this seems like it's they're kind of trying to reach out to someone like me who I do partake in both co-op and adver- adversarial game modes and mm-hmm. I think it'll be a lot of fun and I think it's something that will let them kind of sink their teeth back into an experience like a classic R- Rainbow Six experience without completely overhauling their entire game on siege because you know they've made it perfectly apparent that siege is the game plan for going forward for a while as far as esports is concerned so to me it it just seems like it's the right time for them to kind of get a little palate cleanser for them as a studio and try to give us a new experience that it might not be necessarily new to everyone because it might be a lot like games that we used to play back in the day Mm -hmm. or it could be a completely different experience i'm not sure but by and large to the vast majority of gamers now, it's probably going to be a pretty fresh experience and I'm excited for it. And it does, it feels like they might have learned from their transgressions with the ghost recon wildlands mm-hmm. and games like that, that while it, uh, some people have enjoyed, enjoyed those types of games thoroughly. It's not one that I have particularly enjoyed, or 
I feel like it's almost a little niche, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whenever people talk about playing that game. No, definitely. And, and you know, you make a good point about, uh, like, Ghost Recon and whatnot. As, especially we've seen their past two releases, for the most part, have been kind of wet farts, for the most part. Mm-hmm. They just kind of come out and that's it. Like, even especially you think of, what was it, Breakpoint, I believe it was? Is that what it was yeah. called, the newest one? Yeah, like... You know, Wildlands was a little different. I was at least a little excited with Wildlands just for the sole fact. I'm like, holy shit, we're getting another Ghost Recon game. It's been fucking forever, it feels like. You know, like I was kind of ready for something like that. And not that that game was bad. It just felt like they left it out there to dry for the most part. Um, Just because they saw more, you know, profitability. In, and I'm sure in games like Siege at that point and even to debatably the division one whenever that came out um you know well i should say when the division one was really kind of reworking itself and picking up steam again and becoming a really really good experience for uh players who were interested in a lot of live service titles um and now we're seeing with the division two it really being pretty damn good at launch and carrying over you know with content and whatnot because i believe ubisoft actually i think it was maybe friday something like that hell it might even been earlier no 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 it was yeah it was last week late last week that they came out and said hey we're doing they're doing like a resident evil uh they were doing a resident evil uh like crossover type thing that you can get some raccoon city police department you know gear and whatnot which is cool which i've actually jumped back in to try to get that um but outside of that they said hey we're gonna have some more content coming out and whatnot so you know it just feels like those games never got the support. They were just fucking like, hey, let's release them. We need to we need to fill this gap because we have this franchise and we need to because we know it's guaranteed to at least sell X, Y, and Z based on, you know, this amount of players who played for this long and whatnot. It all comes down to money with such a large scale worldwide publisher like Ubisoft that it's like, you know, I can't blame them, but with that being said, it's so rare that we now see it with Rainbow Six specifically. Like, we we haven't really seen Rainbow Six venture outside of Siege. Um, you know, it's been... They did that, like, one mobile game or something like that that people were pissed off of because Sam Fisher was in that. Me included. <laughs> because I just want a goddamn new Splinter Cell game. Um, but I digress with that. Don't even get me started on that. Um, but that being said, like, they haven't really expanded that franchise too much. It's kind of been... You know, hey, here's Siege. And to me, somebody who loves Siege and to the millions of other people who have been playing Siege, I believe they just said they got like 15 million new users with Siege this past year in a 12-month span, which is fucking ridiculous. Now, granted, the game's super cheap to get into now and yada yada, but, you know, it's, it's, there's something there with people that want, I think, I think it's been pulled back enough that, hey, this is the only Rainbow Six experience that we have right now. And I'm sure other people are wanting like, you know, hey, back in, you know, you look at releases like Rainbow Six Three and stuff like that. Like they had both PvE and PvP. So like, you know, only having really one and there are there are T-hunts in, you know, Rainbow Six Siege, but nowhere to the level that, you know, I think a lot of people are wanting with a little more, you know, expansiveness and whatnot. And just more, I think, ways to play with your friends outside of just, hey, we want to do you know, we can run a tea hunt real quick and be done, you know? And, yeah. And I, the goofy, the goofy operators with all their abilities and right. stuff. Like it just doesn't, 
it's not as fun <laughs> right it, it's become it's become military a military version of overwatch and mm -hmm. someone like me who likes overwatch a ton like it fits well into how i play and i like the more tactical edge to siege than you know whenever i want want to play something like hey i love i mean i love overwatch don't get me wrong but sometimes it's not as in the weeds as i would like it to be or people don't play it in the weeds as like as i as much as i like it to be where siege i think requires you a little more to do so um but um you know it's it, there's just it's only one avenue for rainbow six right now and to me you know i think you've heard a lot of me personally i've seen the discourse online i've seen the conversations online um we've seen the hype build around back for blood like people love pve experiences like they want more of them it's not a just you know and i'm sure you look at ubisoft like i said it comes down to money at the end of the day because they're a business and they're a fucking humongous business but at the same time, like they're listening to their fans. They're giving them multiple experiences. I think they, you know, we talk about bandwidth a lot on the show of franchises. I think, I think easily, I mean, if we're talking any kind of, you know, we're talking the, any sub series within Tom Clancy's brand in Ubisoft, I think rainbow six easily has the most, um, just yeah. you could do so much. And there's so much really you could pull from, from the lineage of that franchise that, you know, bringing this is in granted we're venturing into, I, and I think, I think rainbow six siege really opened the door. Like you were saying with all these different operators that they have now with so many different abilities and tech and whatnot, that that's really opened the door to something like, you know, parasite, if you want to even call it that quarantine, whatever you want to call it right now, that this door can be open now to some far out stuff. Hey, we can go to space. We can go and do, you know, an aliens type experience. Um, so to me, this is really exciting. Like I am very much excited for this game just cause I love PVE, um, PVE experiences, like getting, getting together a group of buddies, everybody, you know, teaming up and just going and going through different maps and stuff, going through different campaigns. Like we do in left for dead. Like that to me is so fun to do. Just run it back, run it back. Let's do another, like, let's change up this. Let's do this. And, you know, seeing what kind of score you can get, what kind of time you can get, what kind of, you know, just different things you can do within that. And I'm really curious how they're going to take a spin on the PVE-esque experience, if I could talk. Whenever you look at, you know, um, like a division, really, that is the marquee PVE experience that they have. That is their destiny for the most part. Um, that is Ubisoft's version of destiny that they have that... Hey, they want they want you investing your time. If you're buying one game this year, they want it to be that game. So let's give you all the content in the world. Let's do this, that. Here's the expansions, Warlords of New York, like yada yada. I want to see how a franchise like Rainbow Six, which to me has a much bigger pool, I think, than the division in terms of longevity and namesake and whatnot, like what that looks like and how they present that long term with that. You know, will that have any interference with the division? I don't think so, because I think they're going to be two vastly different experiences to for the most part. But at the same time, too, people only have so much free time and whatnot. And how are they going to push this game compared to, you know, the division or really any other franchise that they have that's live service based because they have a few, you know, within their catalog of you know franchises and IPs and whatnot. But I digress.
Anyways, Mike, let's move on to our next news article for this week. And it's about that one publisher, developer even, you want to say? I guess so. Yeah, publisher, developer, entity within gaming, you want to call it Sega. Sega! And they are really (laughs) happy with the results of Xbox Game Pass. Shocker. Um, Because they have gotten more titles on there recently, like Yakuza and whatnot. Um, But they uh that is the one studio that we always keep hearing about people wanting microsoft to go and just open up the checkbook on but who knows we're gonna kind of get into that a little bit because supposedly like i said they're really happy with the results of xbox this comes from or game pass i should say this comes from daniel hollis over on pure xbox as always the link in the description Xbox Game Pass is the gift that keeps on giving to consumers, but developers and publishers have also expressed their admiration for the service over the years, including Sega, which is, quote, really happy with the results. In an extensive rundown about Xbox Game Pass over at Eurogamer, Sega Europe's Senior Vice President of Commercial Publishing, Anna Downing, spoke about the company's relationship with Xbox Game Pass, which has seen titles such as Two Point Hospital and the Yakuza franchise thrive since their inclusions. Quote, We're really happy with the results, and we hope Microsoft are too. Ultimately, they wanted quality titles. We wanted to take advantage of the great new opportunity. Downing also spoke about the success Two Point Hospital has enjoyed since being added to Xbox Game Pass and how its its addition, quote, strengthens the exposure you get to a huge first-party audience. Quote, it helped propel the franchise to over 3 million players worldwide. That's a huge benefit of being on Game Pass. It strengthens the exposure you get to a huge first-party audience. That surge in engagement, in turn, helps to further establish your product in the marketplace. It's great for us, and it's great for consumers who get to experience something that they may not have engaged with outside of the Game Pass model. Finally, she spoke about how Sega's strategy over the past decade has been to deliver games that continuously update with new content, seeing a mixture of free and premium content available to purchase. With that said, Downing commented on how games could even be developed with a subscription service in mind, depending on how the industry evolves. Quote, can that model with uh, with can that model work? Sorry, within a subscription service, absolutely. Would we specifically develop games with a subscription service in mind? Potentially. It really depends on how the offering evolves over the next few years and what consumers' demand and expectation is. There's been a lot of speculation over the past few months on whether Microsoft is looking to make Sega its next big acquisition. The most recent instance came after a company restructure sparked hope in fans that news was on the horizon. Alas, it seems unlikely, but anything is possible following last year's colossal ZeniMax media buyout. So, Mike, Sega and Microsoft, they seem to be a pair that, like we said, any everyone really loves to fantasize about, not, you know given not only their history together, the amount of titles that Sega has published on the Xbox, both exclusively and non-exclusively, but, you know, also the fact that Microsoft has been very vocal about wanting to finally try to cement a foothold, an actual presence in the Japanese market. And of course, they have just the straight cash to flex that (laughs) and to flash it around and try to make that happen. But, you know, let's be real. Sega is Sega. They seem very confident in what they are in modern gaming, being the staple in the third-party stratosphere, supplying both AA and AAA experiences to their console partners, to their you know manufacturing partners, everything along those ends. So I guess the bigger question is, Mike, would Sega ever really want to be solely owned by someone, let alone Microsoft? Or you know, will their partnership with Microsoft always remain as 
you know, just friends with, you know, these at at least length commitments that we're seeing with, you know, the likes of the Yakuza franchise and whatnot. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I think it might be a little crazy or it might be a little obvious to say, like, obviously, maybe with the Bethesda deal, everyone kind of thought there's no way Bethesda slash Zenimax would ever get bought out. And then we see that happen. Maybe it's a little bit crazy to compare the two companies, Sega and Bethesda Zenimax, because I would I would say Sega and the Japanese community, obviously iconic, has a lot of IPs that are just legendary. They're making a lot of money on the back end off of sales for their games. Like you know, Sonic is is a game and a, and now a movie that'll live on forever. And it just would seem silly that they would, you know, get purchased or give away everything to Microsoft in that way. I could see a deal being made where potentially Microsoft pays a large sum of money to have their games exclusively put onto Xbox, Mm -hmm. but Sega still keeps the money from backend stuff like Sega merch and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. That's a deal that, you know, kind of would make sense to me here in a business sense. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I would just see it as, it just really depends, like, money talks and how mm-hmm. much money are, is Microsoft willing to fork up since they just spent all that money for ZeniMax Bethesda, uh-huh. but also how much money would it take for Sega to, to budge? And nobody knows the answer to that besides the t- those two parties, and I'm sure we'll hear about it going forward, but I don't see why this couldn't be a partnership in, in matrimony going forward, like, where both benefit greatly from leaning on each other. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. see why Microsoft wouldn't say, hey, you don't necessarily have to give us money from your merch sales and things of that nature, but we can help you with the front end money to develop the games and you, you know, keep them exclusively on the Xbox platform or the Microsoft platform, you know, since PC is getting so popular with Microsoft. Like, that's something I could see totally working itself out and being totally plausible in today's day and age and seeing that come to fruition would not shock me at all. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, I couldn't see, or I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Sega and Microsoft never get to that point, but Sega still can respect Microsoft and what they're working on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And, and you make a really interesting, you know, argument for, or I guess point bringing up that, you know, uh, maybe for games specifically that they could strike a deal of, Hey, exclusively, you know, exclusively moving forward. We're not going to be it, it, almost like a second party partnership. Uh, like we saw with, you know, or really like we're seeing with Sony and blue point games, um, who has remade shadow of a Colossus. They remade most recently demon souls and did the, uh, remasters of the uncharted collection or uncharted trilogy. And, um, you know, where they haven't moved away from the Insomniac Games is another one now wholly owned by, uh, you know, Sony Interactive. But at that point, you know, they, they've been second party all this time and they put out tons and tons and tons of exclusive PlayStation franchises for so long where, you know, that might be something that, hey, we're going to we're going to do this like you're going to be treated like a first party studio. You're going to get we're going to back you in X, Y, and Z areas, but you still get to control and maintain, you know, creative use and direction with the IP that you solely own, like Sonic and like, you know, a couple of others. Plus, because I'm sure Sega at the same time, too, you got to think 
and, and granted, Microsoft's been pretty flexible about and wanting to get there because they're coming from behind for the most part, get their franchises in as many hands as possible. But like, you know, you got to imagine Sega has relied on support or relied on people playing their games on Nintendo, on PlayStation, on various platforms that, you know, cool, you got to think if that's the case and Microsoft wants to get these franchises onto their platforms or their ecosystem, you're cutting out half of the, you know, potential places that you can, you know, spread your game across and get more, get it into more hands where it's probably only going to be on PC and Xbox if that's the case. Um, but that doesn't to me seem like Microsoft's play at all times mm-hmm. uh, with, with really how they're acquiring studios because Sure, we're going to see that with a you know a lot of the big budget ones we've seen, but we still don't know about Bethesda. We still don't know for sure what's going on with that. Um, you know, I, I it, anymore I've learned to just not even comment on it because it's just so up in the air still because it's such a monolith that's out there. Um, in Sega, even more so. Um, but at the same time, if they're serious about getting this foothold in the Japanese market finally and actually having success there i mean they they're gonna have to do something and sega is that one because not only do they have you know these franchises like you know sonic the hedgehog and um streets of rage well originally streets of rage i I can't remember if they published the new one or not but they have all of these huge franchises long term but they also have atlas and atlas is the ones who oversee the Persona and Shimagame Tensu uh, franchise, but more specifically that's been in popular light with PlayStation has been the Persona titles, specifically like Persona 5 and whatnot. Like they're not first party with PlayStation, but they've been releasing content exclusively on PlayStation to that degree with the Persona series and whatnot and to rave reviews. People have wanted that. They People have wanted Persona 5 on Switch for fucking the game's only been out since what 2017 at least in the states and people it feels like a decade people have been asking for that fucking game on switch and it's just not happening they're not bringing it over like but those games reach that audience so much and reach an audience over here that you know if you would reach out and get that and say hey here's the money here let's make it happen we want to get Shimagame Tensu, and more specifically, we want the subseries of Persona on our platforms. We're going to acquire Sega to make that happen. That's how you do it. Um, but they are making steps. You are seeing, you know, Fancy Star Online and stuff like that that's coming first and foremost to Xbox, you know, when it comes to the West and whatnot. So, you know, that's all great, and I'm excited about that. But at the same time, too, you know, where, how are they going to answer? the question that they keep asking of how do we get into, you know, the Japanese market with an actual stronghold, you know, a strong footing there that we see some success. We are able to actually plant some roots there and try to get ingrained in the culture and make our, you know, our platform successful there and give them a reason to invest in Xbox and Microsoft, you know? So it's really interesting. I'm curious to see how they answer that because Sega is an easy answer to that, but Sega also is, one of the, you know, biggest names in gaming, even if they sometimes aren't necessarily, you know, the highest on people's list of, man, I love X, Y, and Z experience that's put out. They still have a lot of, you know, that brand name still holds a lot of weight for a lot of people. And they're still, 
our generation really and a little bit older maybe more your brother's generation mike like that generation still has such a nostalgia for sega that you know sega's been riding on that shit forever like they right they've I, there were times where they're they tried so hard to make you know even after saying hey we're getting out of the console market we're going into this, uh specifically software only and you know we'll be third party and whatnot um where they tried to still make sonic the new mario and they still really push that and it just didn't work but now they're leaning so much more it feels like into that nostalgia era that they're finding success again and then they're also you know hey they're jrpgs that they're developing you know with their subsidiary atlas that you know does persona and whatnot cool they're letting them handle that but you see the success of a sonic mania and whatnot like Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 games like that that they're like okay yeah this is where we can now make a name for ourselves and whatnot but exactly how's microsoft going to do that so how are they going to get into that market and that is an easy answer but at the same time you know that's that's still a lot of money to make that happen i just don't think sega necessarily wants that but cool i'd, I'd hope they i to be honest i would hope i'd be wrong because that would be fucking sweet to see i mean that that would that would really that would make that to me that would bring up more questions than answers with microsoft and how they're just going to make that work if deals like that fall flat because like say hey the sega deal doesn't pan out and hey the bethesda deal isn't bringing as much money as possible like worst case scenario in all of these they're fucked i mean they are that's a lot of money out the hole but granted microsoft has the capital that they could easily do all of this but you know, Microsoft could also be okay. Cool, we're we're shutting down our gaming division. We're getting out of that. You know, so right. So, it, but that's a lot of you know, that's a lot of what ifs. But I, I'm really curious to see how they answer that long term. With how are we going to get in there? How are we going to actually have a foothold with our Japanese consumers? Or how can we build up a Japanese consumer base that you know we can actually give them content and you know, hardware that they find valuable that fits into their model because they don't do, uh, you know, Microsoft doesn't do handhelds. They're staying away from that outside of cloud gaming, which cloud gaming is actually pretty popular in the West. So like, or in the East, I mean, that it's like, you know, how can you make that happen type of thing? So I digress. Anyways, Mike, let's move into our last news article for this week. And it's just kind of a little checkup on what's to come for xCloud and we got a first look at Microsoft's xCloud for the web as in the your web browser akin to that of a Stadia or even so this comes from Tom Warren over on the verge as always link in the description Microsoft has started testing its xCloud game streaming through a web browser sources familiar with Microsoft's Xbox plan tell The Verge that employees are now testing a web version of xCloud ahead of public preview. The service allows Xbox players to access their games through a browser and open up xCloud to work on devices like iPhones and iPads. Much like how xCloud currently works on Android tablets and phones, the web version includes a simple launcher with recommendations for games, the ability to resume recently played titles, and access to all of your cloud games available through Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. Once you play or once you launch a game, it will run full screen and you will need a controller to play Xbox games stream through the browser. It's not immediately clear what resolution Microsoft is streaming games at through the web version. The software maker is or the software maker is using Xbox One S server blades for its existing xCloud infrastructure, so 4K streaming won't be supported until the back-end hardware is upgraded to Xbox Series X components this year. 
Microsoft is planning to bundle this web version of the X, of xCloud into the PC version of the Xbox app on Windows 10 too. The web version appears to be currently limited to Chromium, uh, Chromium browsers like Google Chrome and Microsoft Edge, much like Google Stadia service. Microsoft is planning some form of public preview for xCloud via the web in the spring and the wider internal testing signals that the preview is getting very, very close. The big drive behind this web version is, is support for iOS and iPadOS hardware. Apple imposes limitations on iOS apps and cloud services and Microsoft wasn't able to support the iPhone and iPad when it launched xCloud in beta for Android last year. Apple, and Micro, or Apple said Microsoft would need to submit individual games for review, a process that Microsoft labeled as a bad experience for consumers, end quote. So, obviously, this is a big piece of the pie that has been a long time coming for Microsoft and their xCloud hell, even their Game Pass as a whole vision, uh, considering the doors a browser-based alternative opens up for subscribers, specifically like Tom was saying in his article, iOS users. That's always been the biggest thing of how do we get, you know, one of the largest install bases in the phone market into our service? How can they access this? How can they make this work? You know, what is more interesting to think about, though, is to me at least, how does this affect their competition in cloud gaming, specifically Stadia, after their recent commitment to being the third-party home for cloud-based gaming? So, Mike, does an a la carte service like Game Pass sound more appealing for this kind of experience compared to you know, a single buyer purchase one-time thing that Stadia traditionally offers, even though Stadia will have newer and sometimes more impactful, large, you know, bigger budget, like a cyberpunk and whatnot experiences available instead of Game Pass. You know, where, you know, where's this trade-off at and where does it become more valuable, less valuable? What do you think about all of that? Yeah, I see xCloud as something that Microsoft has really been touting for a long time saying like, this is coming, this is coming. And it's like one of those things that everyone knows is coming down the pipe, but nobody knows exactly what to expect from it. But we're seeing more and more come from this. And I've seen the beta and actually gotten to play the beta version. You've played it. You've experienced it. We all both kind of felt like the delay is a little tough to get over. But mm -hmm. if they work those types of kinks out with the internet speed and everything... That's another reason why a lot of these wireless carriers are pushing 5G so aggressively is like 5G service is something that could potentially make xCloud work. And as far as the question of does Game Pass make this service a lot more plausible and competitive, I think without a doubt, the answer is yes. Whenever you look at a, uh, a subscription service like Game Pass, you're looking at something where a small upfront investment of $15 a month is going to get you access to all these games. And oh, by the way, you don't even need a computer. You don't even need an Xbox to play. You can just play it on your game, on your phone or on your Apple TV or, or whatever. Like that's going to be mm -hmm. super cool. If, if that comes down the pipe. Now I know, you know, for me, the experience I'm looking for, I'm still going to need to be able to enjoy the game on an Xbox and a PC and I know you probably feel the same way too, mm -hmm. but you know, it's definitely all super exciting. And if internet speeds and everything can kind of catch up to the rest of the world and what, you know, people in Europe get to experience, then I don't see why this isn't something that would be very competitive or even, you know, something that would be feasible coming down the pipe as far as just completely almost 
it, it, it feels a lot like Steam, doesn't it? Like they were mm-hmm. kind of taking a page out of Valve's book, and that's what they were looking to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And and you know that's where it it becomes really interesting with how this is tackled. Like I think Microsoft sees this whole. I think they see the whole xCloud experience much more at this point. Obviously, wanting to get in with Apple users was the big piece of this. Um, and I think that's where they see probably most of the money at because mm-hmm. everybody and their fucking brother seems to have a have an you know iPhone um, for the most part, or at least one that's probably compatible or some kind of Apple device in their house, um, you know, whether it be an iPad or an iPhone and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, I think Apple's at this point just that they're they're just the the phone service to go through for the most part. Like most people just go and get an iPhone, um, which is fine. You know, nothing wrong with that. But, um, you know, I, I stand by Microsoft at that point of saying, OK, like, well, you know, if you're the big their big thing was. OK, if if we're not allowed and we're service-based, why is something like a Netflix allowed where, oh, we want to, you know, we're going to have to do this. If you're on the app store, we have to go through and, you know, rate each individual piece of content that's on there. Okay. Well, why doesn't Netflix have to do that? Why doesn't, Mm -hmm. why don't these other large streaming platforms that you have on here? Why, why, why can they not do that? Why can't, um, you know, even a remote play like a so- like Sony has, you know, and granted, that's more of a, you know, shared screen experience, not necessarily a, you know, streaming thing, you know, like we're seeing with xCloud and PlayStation Now or something like that. I think PlayStation Now is more in line, but it's still the same type of thing. So, you know, at least in the same vein type of thing that it's like, OK, well, I could do X, Y and Z on this. Why? Why do we have to be treated differently like that? So, like. To me, this, I side more with that, and I'm really interested to see how, where this payoff comes with Apple. Like, if it's going to be that big, if it's going to be as big as they, I think they're expecting it to be. I think it will be, but at the same time, you know, they're trying to reach, I think, the mobile phone market in terms of mobile gamers to say, hey, you know, yeah, you, you, you know, you like playing these games. That's great. But you could play something that is a $60 title right on your phone with our service. Like you can, you can, we can get you into even better games and this and that. And I think the mobile phone, me personally, I think mobile gamers are such a different breed of people who game like, and I, and I still consider them quote unquote gamers. I think anybody who plays games, whether it's candy, candy crush or whatever, you know, is, is a gamer like quote unquote gamer i hate using that phrase somebody who enjoys games like i think the you do count those but they are to a degree different in the style of how they're going to consume these games and i just don't think they're looking to consume you know a 30 40 hour epic on their phone yeah like like i'm with you i want to sit down in front of my tv when i'm playing my xbox console or in front of my pc when i'm playing you know a high-end game or something like a high fidelity game or you know, especially a first-person shooter, any kind of a com- uh, competitive competitive experience. I want to be playing on the hardware it was designed on to actually do that um, right. and give me the best experience. But I do really like xCloud for the fact that, 
hey, if there is something smaller, I want to just pop in on my phone. Great. Cool. Or, hey, you know what? I kind of want to, I had to, you know, I have my lunch out, you know, I have downtime at work or, hey, I'm eating my lunch at work. I want to pop on and I want to, you know, organize my my loot that's in destiny right now. Uh, so I don't have to later and send this off to a friend cause he's playing right now in our clan. And you know, I can't obviously do that, but I want to give him this. He can go and do yada, yada. Like, I think it's going to be for those type of experiences really good. And for like, you know, if there's any kind of, uh, you know, telltale esque experiences, I think that's going to be a hit. And even too, once you get to this being on PC, um, like they're talking about the, browser base because i tried stadia on both my pc and my tv and surprisingly the tech's really good like it ran really well i was able to get you know play with a chromecast 4k and stuff like that that they sent me and you know it was really i i thought the tech behind it was fucking great they just i don't agree with the model i would rather take a model like a game pass has that is very much plug and play good to go and here's all of the games you're playing because I just don't see this as being if somebody who is investing in this probably already knows about this. Like, it, it, I don't think there's going to be that many casual consumers coming in off the bench to get in on this in terms of like just reaching out to new people and getting new people into this ecosystem. I just don't think that's. I think they're relying more on, hey, this is going to be a second. This is going to be a great secondary option for X, Y, Z gamer who is already. I, I hey, I listen to gaming podcasts. I. You know, I buy a lot of new games throughout the year, yada, yada, who is familiar with the tech, who is familiar with, you know, everything involved with gaming, pretty much the nose house. I think they're going, I think that's where you're going to see the most success with this, because then those people can say, oh, well, I don't have a high end PC, but I want to play this RTS and I don't want to even fucking try it on my console. Like, cool, I'll have, I could, I could do it through, uh, you know, xCloud on my PC and I could run Mm -hmm. it like it's being ran through you know, uh, a rig with at least a 20, you know, 2080 in it and stuff like that. So like, you know, that's, I I think that's where it's going to see more success at, but you know, I would rather take that personally. I would rather take that kind of experience in terms of an a la carte experience than, you know, stadia where I'm buying games, I'm owning them and I'm keeping them forever in a way at the same price point as I would, if I could just go and buy it, you know, Joe Blow game, whatever, on my Xbox or PS4 or whatever, I can just go and buy them for a console for the same Mm -hmm. price and not have to worry about my internet, not have to worry about... And granted, that removes the, you know, barrier to entry for people who don't have those consoles, but I'm curious to see how many of those people are actually out there because I don't think there are are as many as we're being led on to believe there are that who are ready to make that jump into gaming, but don't want to buy a console or whatever. I think most people who are already ga- who are interested in gaming already own one of the consoles and they're yeah. going to be there. That's just me and though. That's that was like a huge thing about the GameStop stock when everyone was kind of when all the experts and I use air quotes when I'm saying <laughs> that I know you can't see me. When all the stock experts were like, "Why are people buying GameStop stock?" <laughs> wow. It's like they're like everyone's buying games digitally now and it's like actually less than 50 percent of the market is 100 percent digital i'm someone who only buys digitally Mm -hmm. but there are so many people that aren't like me that want physical copies of games that want physical things that 
are buying games still, and mm-hmm. they're the one of the reasons why GameStop stocks still <laughs> were still was not. They just weren't going to go bankrupt, right? And it's it's because of this common misconception that everyone's buying digitally now. Everyone's buying digitally now. It's bullshit. It's not true. Mm-hmm. It's not, and it's not gonna be true. The internet in mo- a lot of people's areas is not good enough to to put up with that. Right. First and foremost. Secondly. It's just not fucking true. Like you're just lying through your teeth whenever you say everyone's using digital experiences now. It's just not happening. Right. And it's one of my pet peeves. And the reason why I wanted to go off this tangent is because it's so agitating because it's just not true. It's not true. Right. It's just a bold faced lie, point blank period. It's lying because it supports your theory or your opinion. And it's just not the truth. There are plenty of people out there like you that want physical copies of games. They want physical things. Mm -hmm. They want things in their hands. Now they want the collection. And it's a lot of people. It's not even that they want to collect. It's like, this is the way I've always done it. Digital is cool and all, but I want to go. They still enjoy that experience of going to the store and buying the games for themselves. Like people still enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And, and that's one of my sticking points as to why I buy my games digitally. I don't want to drive to the store and put up with a salesperson trying to get me to sign up for GameStop Pro or this or mm-hmm. that. Like, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. But there's plenty of other people in the world that do want to go hear that. They do want that experience. Mm-hmm. Whenever, but whenever I was still working for Best Buy and they cut the gaming thing out, like, I remember GameStop or uh, Best Buy in Greensburg, PA, like, they had a very good gaming team there when I was there towards the end. A lot of them had worked for... Uh, GameStop in the past and like they had a very successful gaming team there mm-hmm. and they just cut the legs out from under them by getting rid of the gaming team mm-hmm. now you can't even buy CDs there anymore which was one of the big appeals to GameStop or to Best Buy and I know Best Buy was changing gears and it wasn't like it was a bad bad decision yeah I mean not many I mean hell most cars that come out now don't have CD players on them. yeah so like, it's I'm like just... understandable but there are those like I I've gotten one CD in the past probably six or seven years and it was when i whenever i bought my uh blink 182 tickets last year they sent me the new album and that was the first time i got a cd in so long but i understand the appeal of that like there are there are a couple of cds that i actually would like to buy from bands that like you know i'm really into that i missed their first initial album or something like that yeah like i want to get the- those those are that's a cool collector thing but it's such a niche thing anymore because even me like i mostly buy I'm starting to buy more and more digital as I go. Like, obviously, my all of my all 200 plus of my Steam games that I have are all digital. Like, it's all digital. Yeah, but if you had the option, would you have went to the store to buy Valheim? Would you have went to the store Um, to buy CS:GO? Maybe, probably, maybe maybe CS:GO. Yeah, like, but that's the thing. Like, usually, I when I buy my games physical now, it's usually either, you know, hey, I want to like PC. There's no option. There's just no mm-hmm. option to do that, which kind of sucks. There used to be. Right. Because I, I have a copy of Rainbow Six Three at my house, at my parents' house. I have a copy of Rainbow Six Three, like the Raven Shield PC game. Mm-hmm. I have one. I'm, I have one in the box. I mean, I'm sitting right here looking at the last physical, I want to say the last physical PC game that I bought was probably Diablo Three when it first launched. Mm-hmm. I take that, well, no, I take that back because I bought like, I think I had bought the battle chest as well of that too to get the expansion. Cause it was like the same price or whatever. And I got both expansions. Um, but 
I digress. I, I'm looking right here. Like, I have my Counter-Strike Source box. I have my um, StarCraft II box, my World of Warcraft original box, my Warcraft Three original box, and my Diablo Three one. Like, those were, yeah, those are games that, like, you know, I'm glad I have, still have, but, like, I get that that's dead and gone now. Like, those are collector's items, and that's kind of what, like, my my physical stuff is turning into. Like, most of the time, like, I'm, I'm starting to see a trend on the console end that I'm starting to buy more digital. But at the yeah. same time, too, it's like most of the games that I'm buying day and date are games that I'm really high on, that I know I've been waiting for or whatnot. And I'm usually buying, like, the Steelbook edition. Because it's like like The Last of Us Part Two. I bought the collector's edition, like the big box collector's edition for that. Because I have a very, very soft place in my heart for Naughty Dog and their franchises and one. I mean, hell, I have an Uncharted tattoo. Like, you know, I have a connection with them. Same with, like, looking at my shelf here. Uh, you know, Resident Evil. I have the steelbook for Resident Evil 2. I have Uncharted 4's steelbook. Then I have, you know... I mean, unfortunately, but this was from how long ago, Halo 5's collector's edition, <laughs> like the steelbook for that, and, you know, sure. Gears, Gears 4 and stuff like that, like... Those those are the like I'm getting those for these franchises that I really like because I'm not buying as physical as much. And that's where like I see you're just going to start to see, I think, eventually. And I'm not talking I'm talking like 10 years from now. I don't think this is going to be anything like short term, like within the next year or two. I think like we're looking at midterm length for the gaming industry. Like I think within 10 years, it's going to be more comic book shop esque appeal to getting games where, Hey, you duck in and there's only a couple around and, or you order it online to get the physical sent to you or something like that, where it's just going to be, you know, all in one type of thing, or you're going to have to buy an adapter for your PS six or your Xbox, whatever. Like it's going to be that route where if you really want that, you're going to have to do, you know, this, but the digital consoles are going to rule and stuff like that. And, and to be honest, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I don't, I'm not one of those people who are like in their bunker worried about like, they're going to take away the digital rights to my games and I'm going to lose all this money and stuff because of all these games that I bought that I won't be able to access. Like there's going to be solutions for that. We're seeing some of the headaches that came with early digital purchasing at times. Sure. Yes. But you have to understand people are going to be a little more cautious. Like they're the people who are step going to be stepping into those positions where they're making those calls are the people who have been playing these games for a long time. Like, they're the ones who understand this, and they're going to eventually, they're going to have ways to protect people from those long shot, you know, issues that could potentially happen in a, you know, God forbid type of thing happen, because it's just going to be, get to the point of, they're going to have no choice. Like, that's, if that's the only option they're going to have, they need to protect not only themselves, but their consumers, because they won't have any consumers to do that. But I digress. They're... I, I'm one of those people that I'll still I'll still buy the big games digi or uh, physically if I really want to, but I am starting to become more digital. Even the past like year, I've started buying it's, more digitally. The the main point also like, too a pandemic helps that as well. But the main point I was just trying to make, and you definitely are are helping me out with that, mm -hmm. is like gaming isn't CDs. Mm -hmm. It's not the same fucking thing. Right. It's not even close. So if your argument is well, people aren't using or people aren't buying CDs anymore. You're right. That's 100% <laughs> the, the truth. Yeah. But games aren't fucking CDs. Right. 
They're just not. Right. And I totally agree with you. 100% agree with you. Mike, I think that's going to wrap it up, at least for our big topics. But before we head out, let's head into party chat for this week. And if you're new to the show, party chat is our segment where we propose one question at the end of each week that we just want to discuss. Could be as simple as, what's your favorite story beat in the game? What have you been playing during the shitty pandemic and quarantine and whatnot? Or it could be a little more in-depth as to, like, why the negative stigma around gaming still exists. And after answering it ourselves, we'll kick it over to you to tweet your responses over on our Twitter at GPGCPodcast or email us at bonusaccessory at gmail.com and we'll read some of the responses the following week. Last week's question, how many new, and all bold, new Microsoft ecosystem exclusives, that's PC and Xbox, titles do you think will be released by the end of 2021? And Phoenix Down 876 said 10. Three MGS, oh, Microsoft Game Studios, I guess he means Xbox Game Studios, three actual first-party titles, and other, the rest will be indie slash third-party partner. Okay, I got it. Yeah, so he's saying 10 total, three, or they, I should say, they are saying 10 total, three Xbox first-party titles, and the rest will be indie or third-party partner releases with, I'm guessing, timed exclusivity or whatnot. So, cool. I like it. I like it. That's could be potentially true because I think that we're going to see I think we're going to see a lot of ID at Xbox games kind of pop up over the rest of the year um, now that they're seeing much more of a digital emphasis themselves with how they're conducting business uh, and especially too with the pandemic and whatnot. But Mike, this week's question, when do you think we will see Microsoft's next formal showcase of games in 2021? Because there's a lot of rumors going around that. You know, it, it hasn't, I don't believe it's been officially confirmed. That's why I didn't put it in the rundown, but that E3 is going to be doing a digital event this year. They're foregoing, you know, they for, forewent last year saying, hey, we're not doing anything because that was kind of right in the, you know, firing line of everything going on with the pandemic and whatnot. Um, you know, so that was a smart choice to make. Now this year they're coming back saying, hey, we're at least doing a digital event, yada, yada. You know, I'm not sure how many partners are actually going to, you know, get with them on that considering Microsoft doesn't even have a, you know, they have a booth there, but they don't do their E3 showcase at E3. They do it at their own Mm -hmm. venue and whatnot. But, you know, when do you think we're going to see the next Xbox game showcase or next E3 briefing, you know, experience type of, you know, press conference type of thing? When do you think we're going to see Microsoft's next formal showcase of games this year? Uh, I would say probably like May. Yeah. or june like one of those two months probably when they normally have it they're not yeah. going to rush anything and there's nothing there's nothing in the cooker that's ready to come out mm-hmm. um that's probably when we're going to see starfield to be honest i bet you that's going to be a big thing is like yeah in may or june that's when bethesda is going to come on the stage do their big thing mm-hmm. and that's when we're going to see the updates to starfield we're still not going to see Elder scroll six because i don't no. believe that it's even in development <laughs> i don't won't believe it until i see anything about it right I still think that there's probably another six Fallout games coming out before Elder Scrolls. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I say May, <laughs> I say May or June. I'm not bitter at all. Yeah, no, not at all. Absolutely not. Um, no, I actually agree. I, I think, I mean, we haven't. What's nice about these digital events that you know, in the Switch to doing digital promotion like a Nintendo Direct, like something like that, is you know, you control 
you can control the news week if possible. You can control the message. You can control everything internally because it's you putting it out. Um, you're not worried about an E3 time slot or anything like that, you know, or sharing booth space or whatever. You own the mindshare of people if you plan it correctly and put it out correctly and whatnot. Um, and what's nice is, too, you could do it more than once and whatnot. I think in terms of an Xbox showcase, in terms of like we saw where, you know, Infinite's demo was revealed and they showed the gameplay of Infinite and whatnot. I think I think that is going to be, like you said, a May, June, late May, early June. That E3 time frame, uh, I still think a lot of people are going to be planning around that um, just because it's a good, clean cut at like a six-month mark, a mid-year, like, hey, let's check in type of thing with investors and obviously the press and us, the consumers. Um, you know, I think that's always been such a natural thing to do. Um, but I do also, I do think we're also going to see another, you know, inside Xbox, they're like, they're almost like their Xbox video magazine that they like to do. Um, you know, I think we're going to see eventually another one of those maybe in the meantime, just to kind of, Hey, let's take a look at what Sea of Thieves is up to or whatever. Like it's going to be more, you know, already released products, uh, you know, games that have a continuous pipeline of content that's coming to them, like a Sea of Thieves and whatnot. You know, I think it may be that more so than, you know, an Xbox game showcase, but at the same time too, I don't think that's going to be very far behind. And I do agree with you that if we do see Starfield, we're not going to see it. I think, I think we do see it in that time frame, like a May, mm -hmm. June, because that's always made sense. Bethesda, uh, you know, as I talked about before, and really as, you know, I'm sure most of their fans have seen now, um, you know, they really, especially since Todd's Todd Howard's taken over, you know, directing and whatnot, or at least having a large role within these titles. They're Bethesda Game Studios titles. They're in-house developed, not, you know, partnered, you know, subsidiaries like id or anything like that. Like their own, their Elder Scrolls, their Fallouts, those type of experiences. They usually don't say anything until they're pretty much done. They don't mm -hmm. like to, and that's why I always say like, and I think that's why, you hurt you hear Todd Howard be so hesitant whenever, you know, in interviews and whatnot that almost that he regrets showing both Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six or announcing them, you know, almost three years ago now, because they're so far out still that he was you know, they typically don't do that. They're usually because they don't want to get I don't want to say expectations or anything like that, but they, they want to, they want to, and, and I can completely understand that, that they want to have show the game in the best possible light period. They want to have the game, you know, in the, the most playable best view of it, because you only get to make a first impression once. So I get that. And so if they're traditionally, you know, if they're going to stay that and reintroduce Starfield and, you know, talk about an experience like that, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense because that's probably going to be right around the time or at least in the window of when the acquisition for Bethesda is finally finished. You know, we're looking at a spring date somewhere in there between sometime late next month, I believe, to May. So that might be perfect. Boom, it's official. Let's let's talk about it now. Um, you know, so that may line up with that. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm saying May, June, late May, early June, something like that. Um, maybe even into mid-June, um, that kind of month time frame, I would say, but. Anyways, Mike, I think that's going to do it for our episode this week. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on the interwebs to talk about all the nerdy stuff we talked about. Rainbow Six, Parasite, don't call it Parasite or Quarantine. I, I swear to Christ, don't fucking call it that. Um, 
whether you want to talk about that or any of the nerdy cool stuff we talked about sega and xcloud all the cool stuff we talked about where can people find you on the internet to talk about that you can find me on twitter at t-o-y-s-x-l-d-i-e-r that's toy soldier and the second o is an x or you can find me on twitch at mp underscore toy soldier nice nice and as always i'm your host travis white aka travis on most internet platforms including at Travelis underscore on Twitter. That's T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S underscore. You can also find me streaming time to time on twitch.tv slash Travelis underscore, same as Twitter. And if you want to play some video games with your boy over on Xbox Live, you can do so at just regular Travelis. That's T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S, no underscore. And this, ladies and gentlemen, has been your newest Game Pass Game Cash, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and PC gaming, including news, rumors, and conversations around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So be sure to subscribe to us, rate us, review us, all that jazz I tell you about every week, wherever you get a podcast at, and follow us on Twitter at GP. GC Podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show, video games like and our dope giveaways. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be it. Mike, that's it for our episode this week. Thank you everyone so much for listening, sharing, and being a part of our growing community. Game on, wash your hands, listen to the doctors, Black Lives Matter, and we will see you next week.